Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now checking your Metaclorian count. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the first three episodes of season three of Star Wars The Bad Batch, and Christian's giving his initial thoughts on Netflix's Avatar The Last Airbender. And we've got our AEW Week in Review. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Also, if you'd like to further support the Amazing Nerd Show, make sure to check out our Patreon in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash amazingnerdshow. But with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions warning potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead check timestamps to avoid spoilers you have been warned so to start things off this week we've got a huge spoiler for daredevil born again in a leak from the daredevil born again set a hooded man bearing the signature logo of the punisher was captured and posted on x this week while the footage doesn't clearly show the actor's face we do know that john bernthal is set to reprise the character in the mcu this footage suggests that he will be playing a major part in the events of daredevil born again so yeah i mean punisher's been rumored to be part of the series for quite some time so this isn't a huge surprise uh but i'm glad that we have some confirmation because i love everything that netflix was doing with the character and there just seems to be a lot of meat left on the bone but yeah if you thought punisher being part of the series is a big spoiler what he's doing in this behind the scenes clip might even be a bigger spoiler so be warned (laughs) uh we did post the article that contains the clip i believe on our facebook page uh But if you don't want to be spoiled any further, do not click on it. There's just a huge potential plot point that takes place in this behind the scenes leaked, you know, video. So be warned once again. You know what I'm surprised about? What? A year ago, we had so many rumors about, you know, Jessica Jones being kind of a a big figure in this like series where he would have to like maybe go visit her or get her help to help him solve a, um, a case. And we haven't seen... You know, out of all these leaks, she's the only character we have not seen, you know? Well, remember, that? I mean, they basically rewrote the show. True. So who knows if she's still part of the story? I mean, it, that's if the rumor was even true mm-hmm. in the first place. Uh, but you're right. I mean, with the amount of leaks that have been out there, you would think that her appearance would be something that they would struggle to keep under wraps. I hope that rumor's true. I'd love to see the character again. Um, they really do need to hunker down on their security on set though like it's getting ridiculous at this point yeah i mean everyone's phones just need to be confiscated at this point (laughs) right well stick with marvel it looks like we've got an update for the upcoming fantastic four film sources over at the hollywood reporter claim that eric pearson who's worked with marvel studios on black widow and thor ragnarok has been added on to help finish writing fantastic four with thr going as far to say as he has a reputation with marvel for getting projects you know to their completion fantastic four is currently pushing for a july 25th release in 2025 so he's kind of like kevin Feige's version of mr wolf who just comes and like cleans up messes i, I guess so you know from like pulp fiction <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um all right cool 
right? Like, I mean, it is what it is. I think um, when I hear that, though, I get a little concerned. Like, is is it something that they're just trying to rush out if they're, you know, pushing for the script? But I understand it's kind of year out. I don't know. Right. I mean, that's just speculation, mm. honestly. I'm sure, like, th these scripts go through numerous passes you know from a bunch of different writers so i don't think it's anything to be worried about um especially if this is something that this guy has done in the past i mean thor ragnarok's a great movie and and i just watched black widow again uh, a little while ago and i don't know it, it's a fun movie you know i mean i think it gets a bad rep because it just feels almost like too little too late and just so like out of place timeline wise where it just feels like marvel's like trying to catch up um but like i love all the characters that it introduced and i'm glad that we're gonna get to like see their stories play out in uh thunderbolts so i mean i don't know like if you haven't watched black widow in a while definitely check it out because i think I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of people slept on the movie, especially like it came out at a weird time. Like it was the middle of COVID mm. and, you know, it got like it, it was a uh, Disney Plus drop, right? Like, I, think I think it was, was released in the theaters both, yeah. and it, on Disney Plus the same day or something. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I like that film. I really do. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, they both survive uh, Thunderbolts because it sounds like it's going to be a pretty heavy <laughs> film. Yeah, I, I saw the synopsis that came out where they're comparing it to Rogue One, which mm. I thought was kind of funny. It was like, I think I feel like you really want to say Suicide Squad, but <laughs> <laughs> because of licensing reasons, uh -huh. you're not saying Suicide Squad, because even though initially in the comics, the team doesn't start off as a carbon copy of the Suicide Squad. Um, once they become like government like run, that's when it's like, okay, I see what you're doing here, Marvel. Um, you know, because at first that, you know, spoilers, I, I don't think it's really going to come to play in the film. Uh, but, you know, at first it's Zemo and like the Masters of Evil in disguise as heroes, like trying to like fill the void that the Avengers left um, because they're, they're there's a whole thing with Onslaught. It's a thing. It lasted way too long. But basically, Marvel loses the Avengers and the Fantastic Four for a year or so in the books. So they're taken off to another reality. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like this void to fill and Zemo tries to capitalize on it. I I'm hope hoping I'm getting this storyline right. I mean, it's 25 years old at this point, but... Uh, the public doesn't realize that it's actually the Masters of Evil. I forgot exactly what Zemo's plot was behind all this, but yeah. And then later on down the line, they become government run and, you know, you basically get the Suicide Squad in Marvel, right? Yeah. So, which is still awesome, don't get me wrong, but I don't know, the synopsis just, I, I, I laughed at it because it was like, oh, it's like Rogue One. I was like, not really like those characters aren't necessarily villains in rogue one they're just doing what needs to be done for a just cause like they're not being forced by their government right like so i don't know i i thought that comparison was a little weak and i was like i, I see what you're trying to do here pr team though because <laughs> yeah when i saw the initial headline i was like oh is this gonna be more of a political war drama than than i expected <laughs> right 
Well, switching over to Crappy Marvel, uh, we've got a casting update for Venom 3. Variety reports this week that Clark Baco of the Changeling and Letter Kenny fame has been casted in Venom 3. However, no details on whom they may be playing have come out just yet. But, you know, Venom 3 is set to release November 8th this year. Okay, fine. Um, well, moving on to DC, we've got a casting update for Superman Legacy. After sharing the first cast photo for Superman Legacy, James Gunn unveiled who some of the, you know, people that are in the photo would be playing, which actually unveiled the role of Otis, who is Lex Luthor's henchman, and will be played by Terrence Rosemore. Um, Terrence has worked with Gunn on Guardians Volume 2 and 3, and recently starred in the Haunted Mansion film. Otis was a character originally created for the Christopher Reeves-led Superman film, and will be making a big return here on July 11th, 2025. Yeah, I mean, the original Otis was played by Ned Beatty. I think I'm saying his name right. He was a, a, a pretty well-known character actor. He was in Deliverance, actually. Uh, I was surprised to see this announcement. Um, is it an official announcement or is it just a rumor? It's official because it's a okay. full photo from Gunn himself. So. Oh, okay. Got you, got you. Uh, but I, I guess I shouldn't be because Otis in the original Superman film, you know, did a lot of like the comedic heavy lifting, if you will. So I'm sure it's going to be more of the same you know, in Superman Legacy, especially knowing Gunn's proclivity towards comedic side characters. Um, Otis definitely fits that bill, so it makes sense that he would include him in his film. I honestly can't remember the last time I watched any of the Christopher Reeves films. Those had to be years ago when they were on TV or something. So maybe this is a good time to go back and see, because I don't remember Otis at all. <laughs> Just stick with the first two films. That's I know, all I'm gonna say. I know. So, the third one's fun no, in its own way. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I'd say it's a good movie, it but does it's not. Fun. It does not hold up whatsoever. But the first two films are absolute classics. But anyway, uh, it looks like we're gonna be getting a Blade Runner TV series. In a report from Deadline, it looks like Amazon Prime is developing a Blade Runner 2099 series with Jonathan Van Tulliken, who's directed on series like The Changeling and this year's upcoming show Shogun, and is said to be directing an executive producing on the first two episodes of this season. Um, Silka Louisa of Shining Girls fame is also currently the showrunner and writer for the series. Well, I really enjoyed what Villanueva did with uh, 2049, so I'm hoping that he's somehow attached to this project. I mean, his name hasn't been passed around, but in general, I'm just starving for, you know, like a cyberpunk TV series in general. I know you so. are, Christian. I know you are. Are you still playing that game? Uh, yeah, there's a DLC that I still need to play, so I'm going to be doing that on stream soon. So, Are you like the last person left playing that game? <laughs> no, it's still it's very popular, Damon. It Is around. it really popular? Yes. Well, because you remember like how disappointed people were. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know what we're talking about, Christian was so excited for like, what, like three <laughs> years about Cyberpunk. What was it called? Cyberpunk uh, 2077. Right, and mm -hmm. then like it came out and just got murdered by critics and fans Bad alike. But Christian launch. was the one who like stuck strong with it <laughs> and <laughs> really campaigned hard for that game. And you're saying it eventually came around? Yes, uh, after like several patches, eventually they fixed it, and it's now considered you know a fantastic game. It's also like almost the bar for a lot of people considered by you or general public i'm telling okay. you it's not me okay. general okay. public <laughs> i need someone to fact check you so <laughs> it was ever since that anime came out and they did a big patch um they pretty much 
that anime that they did for it, the cyberpunk one that they did on Netflix pretty much was all the marketing they needed to push it to a whole new audience. Uh, and they brought everyone back, essentially. I'm surprised they didn't do a Blade Runner anime like series of some sort. I'm sure there's probably one. Was that rumored? At, I, I believe. Didn't we talk about that a while back that they were going to do surprised. some kind of like animated feature or something? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe it was this project. I'm just getting confused, but it just feels like the perfect fit for, you know, for Blade Runners, so. Oh, actually there was one. There was during the pandemic, so not a lot of eyes got onto it, but it was on Adult Swim. It was called um, Blade Runner Black Lotus, but I never got around to finishing it. Uh, it wasn't super good in my opinion at the time. And I'm also not a huge fan of 3D animation. It has to be like really good if it's gonna be 3D in my eyes. Right, well, here's something for you to look forward to, Christian. Yes. So, uh, is there a date on this or? No, it's, uh, I think it's still like, maybe a couple of years out. Well, speaking of release dates, mark your calendars because we got a bunch of announcements for some upcoming films and series. It surely was a week for release date announcements as we learned that The Acolyte would be set for a June 5th release this year, followed by The Crow reboot film releasing June 7th, and then The Boys season four coming June 13th. So that's gonna be one hell of a month. But it was also suggested this week that the Friday the 13th series Crystal Lake would be coming out this year. As Adrian King posted on X, some behind the scenes photos with the hashtag coming 2024 attached to them. Well, I'm looking forward to all these projects, so uh, I'm definitely excited. Uh, we we need something to fill the, up the calendar without you know Marvel and DC having you know many like huge releases. So um this is all good news yeah i mean they got the memo you know june's the perfect month that's when my birthday is so that's why they're releasing all <laughs> no this one stuff. gives a shit about your fucking birthday <laughs> christian <laughs> especially me uh but yeah no yeah right i mean summer i, I feel like hollywood's been getting away from like summertime releases like you know big releases and i don't know if that's just a product of studios having to like scramble and do a lot of reshuffling in the aftermath of covid um but like summer just hasn't felt the same in years uh so hopefully we're getting back on track because i mean back in the day not really back in the day like just five years ago you know may comes around and you'd be getting a plethora of huge releases and now it just feels like it's more spread out like it's not so focused just on the summer which isn't necessarily such a bad thing i guess but i, I just miss the summer blockbuster era you know no i agree i mean we've got mostly just like series over the past few years of coming out in summer that's about it. if you look at it this is more of the same i mean this is just a bunch of series and and the crow um but you know i almost put the series now on the same like echelon as the films but you know just quality wise so um you know anticipation wise definitely so and i like i mean i guess like this year we have like deadpool coming out and that feels like a huge summer event mm -hmm. where, i don't know like we haven't had that feeling in a while so so hopefully we're slowly getting back to that and now for the nerds breakdown of the bad batch final season premiere heavy spoilers ahead there is no we and there is no escape I've already tried. Every stronghold has a weak point. Maybe I can convince Emery to help. She's one of us. Not every clone is your ally. You trust too easily. Maybe you don't trust enough. So quickly to pull back the curtain here, uh, 
Christian forgot to do his homework. Uh, he did not like watch a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> did not watch the first three episodes of Bad Batch like we talked about last week. So did we even talk? About yeah, we did. I mean, through text, <laughs> but we did, you know, talk about it. Uh, I literally just found this out. So what I thought was going to end up being a conversation about, you know, the start of the season is going to have to be just me writing solo right now. So. My bad. Um, <laughs> So I apologize, Christian, for the spoilers, but it is what it is. You get what you get, motherfucker. Um, (laughs) So I think this season's off to a real solid start. Um, Just really setting the table for things to come. The stakes are high. The show feels energized with purpose, which is the Bad Batch rescuing Omega, who we know in the last season is being held captive by the Empire and the evil science officer Hemlock uh, as a way to keep Nella say in check um that's pretty much what the first episode is all about uh it just felt like a breath of fresh air though you know just the way everything's starting because I don't know if you remember like this in the second season the way everything kind of starts is with a bunch of side missions that just felt like they equated to nothing and it just almost felt like filler right off the bat Mm -hmm. and like the second season just had so much like filler that it just felt like you know they were trying to meet an episode count instead of telling like a cohesive story but the first episode's all about omega and you know what her life is like now i don't believe hunter and wrecker even make an appearance in the episode uh when we meet up with omega you know she's been captured for quite a while you know she's being forced to do mundane chores throughout the science facility all once again in the name of keeping Nalase under Hemlock's thumb. Part of her routine is to get blood samples daily from all the clones, including herself. Uh, when Nalase finds out about this, she tells Omega that uh, they're going to have to destroy her sample, obviously hinting at a bigger revelation to come. Um, you know, Nalase makes sure that when Omega hands off the blood samples, she personally destroys the sample. So, and that's going to come to play later on. But this episode really serves as a way to show Omega's like perseverance and just her absolute refusal to give up hope. Uh, you know, they really make this clear with her interactions with Crosshair who is an absolute mess but omega refuses to give up on him no matter what and you know she tells him that she's not escaping without him but like i said crosshair is in really bad shape i'm happy that he was featured like right away in this first episode uh because i felt like in season two he felt like such an afterthought so i'm glad that his story is not done yet now the second episode is solely focused on the bad batch and just how desperate hunter's becoming in his search for Omega, to the point where he's even refusing to wait a couple of days for backup uh, from Rex and Echo. Uh, You know, he's willing just to go into a mission shorthanded because he just can't bear to think of Omega being held captive any longer. As any dad would. So the Batch gets some intel uh, on the location of Hemlock's lab from that crime family dude who Omega like takes pity on, I believe last season. The guy with the horns. I can't think of the Mm -hmm. species name right now. But regardless, they use the intel to find one of the labs. But of course, it's abandoned. 
they end up running into some clone cadets who've also been abandoned uh, by other like clone troopers. But they find out that there's a computer console that's still active in the lab. So they end up going on a mission to get to this console, all in the name of hoping that it contains some kind of intel on where Hemlock could have possibly moved to. It's an action-heavy episode that plays out kind of like a horror film, honestly. Uh, they have to deal with this weird vine monster. Uh, but it's all about these cadets. But part of the episode, too, is about these cadets learning to really trust the Bad Batch. And, you know, at the end, they end up helping them. So um, the Bad Batch escape off the planet with the cadets. And I could definitely see these characters popping up at some point later on in the season and, you know, helping the team out again. Exactly. Got to make the save. Right. Exactly. So now the third episode is a big one because we finally see the show start to connect the dots with what the deal is with Omega and exactly what Hemlock is working on. Uh, the shit hits the fan because the Emperor shows up. Nalase is forced by Hemlock to meet with the Emperor, not allowing her the ability to destroy Omega's samples. Uh, knowing this, she tells Omega that she's in danger and she has to escape now. Omega, of course, refuses to leave without Crosshair, even though he's given up, really. It feels like for him, it's more about protecting Omega. Um, but during the conversation between Hemlock and the Emperor, we find out that what they're working on is Project Necromancer, which I believe we heard first about in Mandalorian Season 3. And what they're yeah. actually doing here is they're trying to find a blood type that can maintain a level of M count, uh, which I think is safe to assume is midichlorians. Uh, Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> now, the Emperor tells Hemlock that he has everything he wants at his disposal since the future of the Empire rests on his work. Because obviously the Emperor's trying to cheat death here. And we're going to see all this play out in the future in Rise of Skywalker. While all this is happening, Omega is able to escape with Crosshair in one of the Empire's ships. Um, as they're escaping, the lab assistant, who's actually a female clone, um, she discovers the truth about Omega's blood and how it is the key. Now, I don't know if this means that she actually has midichlorians in her blood or that there's something about her blood that tells them that, you know, she has the ability to carry a midichlorian count. But because of this, Hemlock basically allows Omega and Crosshair to escape because he can't allow any harm to come to her. Felt a little weird to me that they just allowed her to escape, honestly. Like, it felt like, well, you could at least, like, tail her. Like... <laughs> But they have tractor beams. Yeah, well, I, they were chasing <laughs> after her and like he basically calls them off and Omega goes into like hyperspace. And maybe he has another way of tracking her, too. So I, I don't know. You know, maybe there's a tracking device on the ship already. So he's not too concerned about it. But literally, there, there's like a fleet tailing them. So it just I don't know. It, it felt a little strange that he just called everyone mm. off <laughs> in that moment. Uh, but. Yeah, I mean, all in all, some big revelations, a lot of fun action, uh, 
The animation looks fantastic. It keeps on improving every season. Uh, the score is just top notch, especially in that second episode. Like I said, it had some like horror-like tendencies and they really drive that home with the score. So, but all in all, I do feel like this season's off to more of a promising start compared to last season which unfortunately for me was kind of a mixed bag. I mean, episode three alone sounds like it answers a lot of the things that I was looking for for this season. So, I mean, I'm excited to get around to actually watching it. Yeah, I mean, it's a big reveal. Um, also, I was I was surprised that Omega escaped so quickly. I just kind of assumed that would be something that would happen like mid-season. But with that being said, I, I still feel like we're not going to see Omega and Hunter reunite for a couple more episodes. I mean, at this case, it sounds like they could be in a swapped scenario where the Bad Batch, you know, think that they know where they are or she is and then end up getting captured themselves. And then she right. has to come save them <laughs> with crosshair. I could see that possibly play out. Mm -hmm. um, also, we do know that most likely Hemlock's going to send some bounty hunters her way. Because, I mean, from the trailers alone, we know Cad Bane is the, in this season, and so is Fennec. And eventually, uh, Ventress. So, who, the last time we saw her in Clone Wars, was operating as a mercenary. And we've already discussed, like, how her story plays out in that novel. The, the name is Ipsbeam right now. But, um, I don't know, like, since she's been resurrected, apparently, like, <laughs> spoilers, I don't know if her occupation's changed. So, I mean, maybe that's how she, you know, becomes a player on the board here. Now, the one thing that I will say, like knowing the fact that like 30 years down the line, uh, which is basically when season three of The Mandalorian takes place, that, you know, at that point, they still haven't necessarily figured out like Project Necromancer and they're still working on like cloning and how to bring back the Emperor. Um, it does feel a bit of a spoiler, right? <laughs> that they probably don't succeed in capturing Omega, which isn't a big deal. Like, I think we all kind of assume that she's probably going to survive this season. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, maybe she doesn't. Maybe they do get her blood sample and they're wrong or something goes wrong, but I doubt it, right? Um, but I guess I'm not really bumping up against that when all is said and done because we know how this shit's going to play out in the long run, Right. So it is what it is. I just love that Filoni heard the line, you know, somehow Palpatine's return. He said, oh, I'm going to explain yeah, it right. to you. I'm going to give oh, you you're like gonna five know. different shows. You're going to know what dark science means. <laughs> <laughs> Project Necromancer, though. Like, man, I wish I had the talent to start a fucking metal band because <laughs> I know exactly what I would call it. Hey, I can drum. So you just let me know. <laughs> So moving forward, when it comes to our coverage for the third season of The Bad Batch, we're going to kind of play it by ear. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to do it weekly, like episode by episode. We might just jump on once in a while and talk about some of the bigger plot points or the bigger episodes. Um, but I mean, if the show really hits its stride and it feels like it's something that we need to talk about every week, we might also do that. So. Like I said, we're going to play it by ear. Exactly. I mean, if every episode is a banger and there's something like big, we have to, yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Or if it's kind of slow going and we feel like 
you know, we'll just review it at the end. You know, we'll do that also. So exactly like the next four episodes are all Sid missions. Yeah, and, no, you know. then we'll definitely be waiting to the <laughs> to after the finale to talk about the Bad Batch again. So um, but yeah, hopefully that's not the case. Because like I said, we're, we're definitely off to a promising start. And now for the nerds reaction to Netflix Avatar The Last Airbender premiere. Mild spoilers ahead. The world needs the Avatar. It needs you, man. How am I supposed to figure out how to save the world? But imagine what will happen if you don't even try. Avatar The Last Airbender was one of the biggest shows for me growing up. Uh, everyone I knew was watching Aang's journey and bringing peace to the Four Nations. And Netflix looked to capitalize on my generation by bringing us a new live action adaptation for the series. The last attempt by M. Night Shyamalan left a pretty big sour taste in everyone's mouths, but I felt like it was overdue for a retry and Netflix finding you know success with a series like One Piece showed that they could probably bring us better live action ad adaptations than we've seen in the past. So I decided to watch the first episode this week you know to get an idea of what netflix would do to a series like this um would it be another bad netflix adaptation or could they find the spirit of the original show and so far my reaction is just a little bit on the oh no side um no i didn't leave this appalled like i did with you know the m night film but in the first episode, writing-wise and performance-wise, I was getting a lot of red flags. Um, the series kicks off with the attack of the Air Temple and Aang freezing himself in water, only to be you know, later discovered by Sokka and Katara, who stumble upon him and accidentally alert the you know, nearby Zuko. The choice to show the Air Temple attack wasn't horrible, I wasn't super against it, but it did steal away from a lot of the you know emotional beats of Aang's return to there later, which, which brings me to you know my biggest gripes of the episode, which is Aang's exposition and character dump. Um, the weight of responsibility is a major theme for his character, as he's a kid and just wants to goof off, not be straddled with the weight of saving the world. Where the animated series showed you his immaturity, um, the adaptation tells you over and over again. Aang himself you know, says, I'm just a kid and I don't want to be the Avatar, I just want to be a happy-go-lucky kid playing, instead of him actually going around and doing that. Um, a lot of characters kind of, you know, explain their motivations and expo dump as often as they can. But it was Aang that really did it the most, where, you know, they could have just easily shown him not taking the threat of the Fire Nation all that seriously and, you know, journeying to the Wind Temple to get his, you know, gut punched. But because they showed it in the episode and actually told the character before he ever went there, his reaction just kind of felt less than in every way. So I have many concerns in that regard. Um, as far as performances go, I thought Zuko and Sokka were, you know, pitch perfect from what they were in the show, at least in this episode. But I haven't gotten the best read on Katara yet. Uh, I just don't feel like they gave her enough to really, you know, shine here yet. The character I was really disappointed by was, you know, Uncle Iroh, as he just felt like a dude reading lines. Um, the delivery was just so wooden to me, and every Jasmine tea uttered was just felt like so forced from him. It was very disappointing to see. Um, Overall, the abilities and CGI work was strong um, with a couple of you know, kind of really jelly moments when Aang is in full Avatar freakout. But Netflix has been doing a great job with all things CGI lately. So I'm happy to see that continue with this show, especially since it's so you know ability heavy and I've enjoyed seeing all the different styles um, in action here. And this series will most likely show a lot more of the you know water and wind elements as we go on. So at least they have that going for it. But you know, just a big part of me wants to write off my concerns as an episode one thing. You know, they needed to world build and they just decided to go exposition heavy with it. Uh, but it's often not a good sign when the only way they know how to world build is, you know, laying it out flat for you with a you know, mediocre script.
So with that said, my reaction to this so far is just kind of meh on the whole thing. But I'm not going to write it off um, entirely. I don't think it's as bad as the M. Night film. So I'm still going to, you know, stick with it, see how it is by the end. And we'll get you guys a review as soon as I'm finished with it. But I still feel like it's missing the mark on what was a fantastic series. I pray that my you know opinion changes by the end. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This week in gaming, we got a couple of Star Wars stories as a big leak this week points towards a bounty hunter first person shooters like game where you will play as a Mandalorian. Scoopers at Insider Gaming claim Respawn are working on this title that is said to be set during the Galactic Empire where you'll be hunting down bounties like a proper Mandalorian. Seems like a simple premise for a game that I could see a lot of people getting into, especially since we've seen so much excitement lately around you know Star Wars Outlaws, which we'll see you play as a non-Jedi character. I think there are a ton of Star Wars stories out there that could be told without you know needing the Jedi and Sith element and I am glad that you know Star Wars and Disney in general are finally investing in those types of stories. Uh, but for those that are looking for a more classic Star Wars experience, it was announced this week that the original Star Wars Battlefronts 1 and 2 are returning from Aspire in a collection in March uh, with 60 player online matches, which for me was super exciting to hear as that was a big release back in the day when I was younger and playing it on the PS2. I remember like hooking up my PS2 for the first time to the internet just to play that and seeing how people were able to manipulate the game and like turn it like we, we were doing crazy shit back then but if you've never played it before make sure to check out the you know the original battlefronts they have super addicting gameplay um super simple maps and such easy to get into and you'll be playing it for hours i guarantee it, especially if you're a star wars fan this is coming out march 14th and i've already told my friends that we are going to have to play it um, so I'll most likely be streaming it at some point. But um, all right, tech-wise, we learned that Sony is interested in bringing the PSVR 2 to PC, as reported by The Verge. Um, it seems Sony is testing the capability of getting this headset to work with PC, which could be a big move for them as it will draw sales towards the device if it's no longer just you know an add-on for your PS5. Um, wise decision, if you ask me, and perhaps we will see PSVR you know library on PC. But that's just my own speculation going with that. Um, there was also a Nintendo Direct this week, but it wasn't all that exciting to me. Um, it mostly focused on third-party titles coming to the Switch, which, you know, that's fine. Doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of new stuff coming, at least until uh, fall or winter. So they'll probably release more information during summer, you know, during like that E3 style week. I'm assuming we're going to get the Switch 2 announcement um, this year. But one thing that did come out of this was that one of the, you know, official Xbox Studios games that were not announced beforehand is coming to the Switch, um, that being Grounded. Um, I felt like Grounded would have been an easy port for the Switch to handle, but um, it still looks graphically way worse um, than it does on PC and Xbox uh, for the Switch, but I'm not too surprised. It's just the Switch's technology can't handle um, that type of stuff, and I'm hoping that the Switch 2 puts third-party optimization in mind, but uh, I'm going to doubt it for right now. Um, streaming wise, uh, we did get back to it this past Tuesday. We checked out um, Hell Divers 2, which was fun. Um, I do need to like get into a group though. Matchmaking is still not working properly, so 
Um, I wasn't able to play with anyone else just yet. But from what I did get from the gameplay, um, it was pretty fun. Um, and I do think that this is a game that I could get into. It's usually not my type of style. Um, third person shooters usually don't draw me in too much, but I think I could really get into this. I just need, you know, the multiplayer aspect to work better. But they did just announce that they've unleashed the cap on, you know, the servers. I think there's now 700,000 more slots or they raised the cap to 700,000. So we'll see if that, you know, makes a better environment for the online aspect of it. Um, but after that, we did get back into playing some um, Starfield. Uh, we're almost done with that game. I do need to level up before I can actually finish it because I got to the end and was just murdered so fast. But we'll see how that works. Uh, we will be going back to streaming next Tuesday. I'm debating on what I'm going to play necessarily. Uh, if I will go back to Starfield or not, um, we'll see. And then as I announced on stream, I will eventually be getting back into multi-streaming. There's just a couple things I need to, you know, finish figuring out um, with the new OBS and what was going on with some of the audio aspects on my um, GoXLR before I, you know, start sending my stream to like YouTube and other places like that. But for now, the best place to find me is at twitch.com slash amazingnerdshow for all of our live, you know, stream events. But with that said, let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling. But let's look at some of the people who have held it. Because there's been a lot of men running around here claiming to be the best, to be better. There's kings, there's gods. So what does that make me? Because the best in the world, the real heavyweight champion, I beat his ass like nobody has in his entire career. His body's still falling apart from me. All right, Christian, let's go ahead and talk some highlights from this past week in AEW. Uh, this week, we didn't have a collision show. It was canceled, I believe, due to the NBA All-Star Game. But we did have a Dynamite. Um, and I don't know. It was a little lackluster. Uh, now, apparently, there was reasons for that, I guess, behind the scenes. Uh, there was a lot of turmoil going on, uh, a lot of injuries um, and some like unforeseen events uh, that obviously they had no control over. Uh, namely, uh, they, they didn't know whether or not Sting was going to be on the show. They found out like last minute, like due to his father's death, he wouldn't be able to make it. Um, so that caused them to reshuffle the deck a little, um, you know, there was some injuries, like I said, uh, but that forced them to have to also shift the card around a bit. Uh, originally, I believe Trent was supposed to face off against, uh, Mike Bennett, but they end up putting Orange Cassidy in his place, uh, which... I don't know, to me, sounds like a blessing in disguise, but it is what it is. But also, I guess Jeff Hardy was supposed to be on the show in some kind of role. Uh, oh, right. So I don't know exactly how that affected everything, but but it, it made sense, like finding all this stuff out after the fact, because the show definitely felt clunky, if you will. Um, something just was off like all night long. So, uh, you know, we started off the show, though, with one hell of a match between FTR and the Blackpool Combat Club uh, being represented by Claudio and Moxley. Um, these two teams just, I mean, I could watch them beat the shit out of each other all night long. And that sounds like we're probably going to get that <laughs> at the pay-per-view. Um, mm -hmm. They went to a time limit draw, uh, which mm -hmm. I was kind of surprised by, but 
you know, happy with at the same time? Because I'm assuming that means we're probably going to get some kind of like gimmick match at uh, Revolution. Um, I'm hoping for like a dog collar match or something like that. <laughs> Tag team dog collar match. I right. I mean, it. well, we got that with the Briscoes and FTR in uh, Ring mm, of Honor. True. So it's becoming like one of like FTR's like specialties. So why not? Um, I could be wrong, though. It could just be a straight up match, but I doubt it since that's what we got on Dynamite. So I feel like they'll, you know, spice things up, you know, with a gimmick of some sort. Now, what was the specific reason that these two teams got involved? Because, like, I can't remember how they started fighting. On Collision, (laughs) Blackpool Combat Club came out, or I think it was after Mm -hmm. a match, and basically, like, called out the locker room and FTR answered. Gotcha. They got All each right. other's faces, and then it just ended up being this huge, like, pull-apart brawl. And that led to Dax versus Moxley, which, big surprise, they beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> and then Moxley, after the match, even though he, you know, choked out Dax, he continued to choke out Dax, which, of course, ended mm-hmm. up in a bigger melee, you know, afterwards. So, um, I said it last week, like, I'm all for this, like, you know, you have single feuds taking place all the time without like a championship involved. So I love the fact that we're getting like a tag team feud happening without it revolving around the tag titles. So you've got so many talented tag teams like on the roster that they should be featured even if they're not in a title program. So like more yeah, of like, this. You can't have either of those teams not on, you know, the card. Right. For- you know, right. revolution. So. Right. So, I mean, these are, I mean, especially like Moxley, like he should always be featured, mm-hmm. you know, in every pay-per-view. So I, I, I think this is great. You know, I think it's a fun program and we'll see where it heads. I will say, I do notice that AEW has been doing a lot of like the draws lately. Like, I wonder if they're like, I hope that they don't overdo it. <laughs> like it doesn't come too common. What, what was the last draw? The uh, Hangman and Swerve? Yeah. I'm fine with it as long as they're doing the time cues. Like, you're going to have draws once mm-hmm. in a while. I mean, New Japan does them all the time. I think as long as you're doing the time cues and you're utilizing the draw the right way, where it's part of the storyline and it's just adding intensity to the match, I'm cool with it. Especially if you're going for more of a yeah, sport-like I mean, presentation. It makes sense to me. Exactly. So. I mean, it definitely worked for this angle. Like, them going at each other made sense. I was just saying, I feel like I could see them doing this more and more often. Yeah, I mean, if you do it, if you overdo it, then it becomes too much. But I think you can utilize it in a way where it just adds to the product overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice to know that it's a possibility. So, um, but, you know, I can understand the concern. Um but I think the biggest story of the night, honestly, we're going to be jumping around because we're just doing highlights, um, is the fact that we actually got two women's matches on yes. Dynamite. <laughs> right? <laughs> they weren't great matches by any means, but there was two of them. So, I mean, it's progress. It's a step in the right direction. I mean, the women's division, you know, feels like it's becoming a big focus of, you know, AW in general. Uh, we know that we have Mercedes Monet's pending arrival um, this week. They uh, hired a WWE writer whose name completely escapes me, a former WWE writer, that is, who was with the company for like seven years, which is saying a lot because writers, I mean, it's like a revolving door 
in WWE. Mm-hmm. But uh, she had a great relationship, I guess, with Mercedes. So, you know, not saying that's the only reason she's, um, you know, the, the company's payroll right now, but feels like that's probably part of it. But if she's like someone who they're bringing in to focus on the women's division, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I would hope. That would be nice if they had someone that was just, especially working with both shows. Right. That'd be nice. I mean, when all said and done, it's Tony who makes the final call. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's good to have different voices in that room with him because we know there's been a lot left to desire on the way that the women been booked in AEW. So... Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the matches, um, went like, I think what hurt both of them was the fact that they went back to back. Um, and it seemed, they seemed more focused on getting that visual of them, like, you know, like half in black and white, half in color. Um, it's a cool visual. Uh, they kind of started to like overdo it at the end. Yes. Um, like, I liked it when they got the one shot on the ramp. I thought that was really cool. But then, like, you know, when they're face-to-face in the ring, I don't know. Um, I also, like, this crowd wasn't the best crowd. And the fact that hit, you're basically having two squash matches back-to-back, I think that also hurt them. Like, the crowd just wasn't feeling this. Um, Deanna's match was was kind of brutal. It wasn't a great match. Um, I don't know what happened or, you know, th- there was definitely an injury that took place. Uh, she was going up against Madison Rain, who's actually, I believe, like a player coach for them. But uh, she's been on the shelf for quite a while with an injury. So I don't know if she was just rusty, but something just wasn't gelling with these two in the ring. So Tony's match was quick and simple against the local talents. It was what it was. But this Deanna match... I don't know, man. <laughs> um, and I, I think almost like, you know, like, like it was too like back and forth where I think it, it would have been better suited. Like this would have been better suited as just like a straight squash with Deanna, like completely dominating, um, you know, and if you don't want to do that against Madison Rain, that's fine. But, you know, and put someone else. Exactly. In. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I feel like they only did it because it was Madison Rain right. at that point. Right. Which is fine. But like, I don't think this was the right time or place, especially mm-hmm. if this was her first match back. So um, and Madison Rain has all the talent in the world. I mean, she was a former I mean, she was a former TNA champion for years. So I don't know. It was it was disappointing. But in the long run, I don't think it will really affect um, the momentum of this storyline because I do feel like what they've done so far has worked um, and I am looking forward to the match still so you know it hasn't derailed anything I just hope they don't get like too cutesy with the whole like black and white color thing in the actual match at the pay-per-view I'm so scared that it's like gonna be every other shot that, yes right gonna... like like every yeah. punch <laughs> <laughs> like Tony hits her it goes black and white she hits Tony it goes color that might actually work. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to turn into something crazy, like a fiend match, and it's not going to be as fun as we think it is. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. So. But anyway, uh, another highlight of the night was Wardlow, surprisingly. I don't know the, I don't know the last time we could say that. Uh, Wardlow came out and cut 
an amazing promo. Yes, to a crowd that didn't deserve it, because, I mean, he was really going yeah. in, and they were not giving him the credit he deserved. Yeah, he was but... on fire. I was like, first of all, everything he said was true, right? He was running down, <laughs> yes. like, everyone uh-huh. that he's beaten, like, all, like, the the most recent, like, world champions, um, how he's dominated and everything like that. Uh, he made a subtle comment and took a shot at Punk, um, which it is what it is. I, I enjoyed it, uh, basically saying that he hasn't been the same since he dominated him uh, in their match a while back. Uh, <laughs> which I have a feeling he probably even like talked to Punk beforehand about it and said that he was going to use it. Got permission. Like, I could totally see that. So, and maybe he didn't. But... Well, I feel like we would have gotten a response already right. uh, by now, exactly. to be honest. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was a good callback and everything because he did like completely dominate him in the match and i i forgot mm-hmm. about that um because that was the match where max kept on making wardlow powerbomb him over and over and over again uh, he yeah. could have gotten mm-hmm. the win but i forgot what happened at the end of that something something weird happened where uh wardlow didn't actually pick up the win actually i think it was a roll-up um i think Wardlow was distracted and Punk just got a quick roll up on him. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I thought this was great. Um, so hopefully this is a new direction and we'll really like rekindle like Wardlow's heat in the company. Um, because he's just once again, he's another guy who feels like he's been kind of like lost um right now. Like he's I know he's part of, you know, Adam Cole's group, but you could see where they might be headed with him, but you can never really trust AEW to mm. necessarily pull the trigger or, you know, do it in a timely fashion, at least. So um, I'm guessing since he cut this promo, most likely he's probably like the next contender for the title. Um, well, I mean, after this, we hear that there's, you know, a meat madness match that's going to be happening at the pay-per-view, which I feel like was just designed for Wardlow to have a big victory. Yeah, and I don't know if that's going to be like a gauntlet match or like some kind of battle royal. Now, if it's a gauntlet match, it'll definitely pad his record, which I could see making him like number one contender. But we find out, too, on this episode that, you know, he's got a pretty big opponent in this match, uh, namely Hobbs. So, um, and he has history with Hobbs, so it makes sense. It's probably a make good after, because I, I don't, I don't remember exactly what happened with their program. Um, it kind of just felt like it, well, like because Joe got involved and it became like a, a trio, like match. Did he and get revenge on Hobbs after Hobbs beat him? I don't, I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent on that. To so be maybe with this you, is like was... a make good for that. Hmm. It's been so long, like. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I feel like um, at that time, it felt like he was trying to get, like, Hobbs could have gotten the title and then, or because um, it, it was That's the when QT title the Marshall helped Hobbs yeah. get the title. And then it felt like Hobbs just kind of moved on. And then it was weird, right? Like, Wardlow would yes, lose the belt and disappear for like a month and then show up again. And I don't know. I don't know, man. It, it's too hard to track at this point. So um, <laughs> I'm excited to see Hobbs versus Wardlow again, though. You know, I mean, I hope they don't hurt Hobbs at all, though. Like, like he had that huge victory against Jericho mm-hmm. a while back where he just completely decimated him. Um, but like since then, it feels like they haven't really done much, you know, with the character. So I don't know. 
Um, I'd like to see him get back on track also. I'm sure we'll see Keith Lee and all the other big men in this match as well. Well, I think Lee's actually still injured. So, oh, oh, but I could see like oh, Bear oh. Country and, you know, uh, just some of the bigger guys getting involved. The guys that they're not scared to beat. Um, should be fun, though. But like I said, I, I feel like after this, um, most likely Warlow is going to be in the title picture. Hopefully that means, too, that Adam Cole's close to being healthy because I, I feel like his first real programs probably going to be against Cole. Like I could see Cole turning on him or something like that. Um, you know, cause we have, we have no idea what's going on with MJF either. You know, he's supposed to be injured and healing up. Um, they've got a lot of people on the shelf right now. Yeah. Some big names, MJF, Omega, Cole, and there's, they're still clicking on all cylinders. So you got to give it to them. But, but you think it's going to be like an evolution? Yes. Of- yeah, I feel like them. they've All already right. laid seeds for that. Like with that initial promo with Cole talking about how Wardlow is going to get the world title and hand it over to him. <laughs> it's like, OK, <laughs> we know where this is going. I've seen uh-huh. I've, I've seen this movie before. So and while I, I'm not sure whether or not Wardlow will actually win the belt, I could see him possibly being like a good first opponent for like Swerve. If Swerve does end mm-hmm. up winning that title or if Cole's not ready to wrestle uh anytime soon he'd be a good first opponent for uh mjf when uh he gets back but uh i hear swerve's chances might be might be going up uh, after yeah this main event. uh so this is a weird story now we had the main event which saw rvd hook and hangman uh team up against swerve samoa joe and brian cage i don't know you caught their promo right i mean hangman's just totally a heel now like, it was just blaming yeah. Hook and RVD <laughs> for their losses and kind of, like, everything that's happened <laughs> most recently. Um, I was like, oh, okay. All right. We're just going straight up heel. But it was weird because then in the match, it felt like he worked totally as a baby face. Um, but I don't know. But we, we had them teaming up against uh, Samoa Joe, Swerve, and Brian Cage. So, um it was a good match all in all. I don't think it was anything to write home about, though. Um, but it was a fun six-man tag. You know, yeah. it felt a little like WWE. Like, it's something that we don't necessarily see all the time with uh, AEW, where they just kind of, like, throw a bunch of feuds going on at the same time together in, like, a big, like, tag. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I can see that. Right? Because we, we have Hook. Uh, he's feuding with Brian Cage. We have Swerve, you know, who's feuding with both Hangman and Samoa Joe. Then we have RVD, who's, you know, been kind of part of, you know, the feud with, you know, Swerve. But yeah, what we're trying to get to is like during the match, Hangman looked to actually be injured. He did. I forgot the move, but he does something and then he like grabs his leg and rolls out of the ring. And that like that's the last we see of him. Now, after the finish uh, in which we saw Joe choking out RVD. Uh, the camera goes on to uh, Hangman, who's on, on the outside of the ring, and we see Hangman yelling at the cameraman to, you know, get off of him, to, you know, to cut to something else. Um, and this happens, like, twice. And then the show just kind of ends. Uh, now, a lot of people right afterwards were like, oh, shit, he's hurt, he's injured. Now, of course, this would lead you to believe that, you know, something went wrong. He hurt his knee. 
Um, a lot of people were speculating right after the show that, you know, what does this mean for the pay-per-view? Because um, it felt like a legit injury, right? Mm-hmm. But apparently it was all a work. Um, oh, okay. And there's a possibility <laughs> that Hangman, for personal reasons, might not be able to make it to the pay-per-view. So they shot this mini angle, this injury angle, just in case. Um. I don't know. So, I mean, so one, that means we could possibly be getting just Swerve versus Joe, unless they try to add someone else into the mix. Now, I feel like if it's just Swerve versus Joe, that outcome, the outcome of the match might change. Because with it being like a triple threat match, I could have seen some sort of scenario where Joe would still walk away the champion. Um, You know, where like, you know, Hangman and Swerve would, you know, cancel each other out or get in each other's mm-hmm. way of, you know, winning the belt. But if it's just a one-on-one match between Swerve and Joe, like I I just don't see Swerve losing. You know, so they might end up pulling the trigger maybe a little sooner than they planned on with Swerve, which I'm fine with. I mean, it sucks for Joe because I feel like he's just getting started as champion and then he would be just a transitional champion. And we've only really seen him like defend the belt once at this point, um, which is disappointing. Um, Cause I really, I, you know, we talked about it before on the show. Like I, I felt like, you know, Joe probably wins this match at the pay-per-view and then, you know, loses the belt at the next show. So, um, but if Hangman's not involved, I could see them pulling the trigger early on Swerve, you know, you know, as champion. I mean, It'd be the first time in a while where it felt like, you know, they've struck while the iron is hot, you know, on someone like That's this. That's true. Where, it's like, usually we know it's coming, but it's, like, 20 weeks or a few months out right, before right. it actually does happen. And always, like, that first big title defense, it always feels like a shoe-in. Like, you know, it's just predictable that the champion's mm. going to retain. So it might be a little refreshing, even though it sucks for Joe, where we do have a situation where the champion actually does lose his title you know during his first big defense so um and it won't hurt joe much in the long run like no. joe's a legend he'll be fine um so we'll have to wait and see i guess but it, it's definitely an interesting wrinkle in the story like i'm not a big fan of the audible that they you know pulled like doing the the injury angle i feel like there's a more interesting way to do this where they could have least made it more storyline you know, orientated, like, you know, maybe have like a situation where they could have filmed something with like, you know, Hangman being jumped in the locker room where you you just find him like laid out. And there's Mm -hmm. like a possibility that it was like the mogul embassy, but like Swerve isn't in the know. So he's like, you know, pissed off at the embassy that they might be behind it. So you're adding tension. I mean, at this point, it's pretty obvious that we're probably going to see a break between, you know, Swerve and the embassy just because, you know, they're on two different tracks. Like Swerve's very much like on the road to becoming a baby face. And I don't think the embassy is going to be turning with him. So, yeah, I mean, like, I could see Nana that... like, you know, sticking with, uh-huh. with Swerve, but, but I think like cage and the gates of agony will, you know, s- you know, stay, you know, heels. So, um, I don't know. I just feel like there's a more interesting way to go about this is all I'm trying to say here. 
I feel like without Swerve, though, they will get a little lost in the shuffle. Yeah, <laughs> but it is what it is. I mean, like, hmm. you could, I could see Swerve, like, defending the title against Cage, like, in a TV match or something like that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, honestly, they're kind of lost in the shuffle as is. When was the last time we saw the Gates of Agony? A couple weeks ago, they had some type of match. Did they? I don't for sure, or at least one of them did. Oh, they, that's right. He chose um, what's his name? To go oh, as um, Hangman's opponent. Yeah, Aha. yeah. See? There you go. Good job, Christian. Look at you <laughs> remembering stuff. <laughs> you didn't even have to Google. Um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean. The faction has always felt weird to me, so I'm totally fine with it going to the uh, wayside. It is what it is. Um, I just feel like it's inevitable at this point. So, I don't know. I just feel like it would be a nice wrinkle to the story, but whatever. So, but, um, yeah, otherwise, highlight-wise with the show, I mean, we basically, once again, are talking things out of order. That was the main event. I think the only other thing I could think of is the uh, Sting promo. Um, you know, I thought it was fantastic. I wish it happened last week. Um, we find out that, you know, Sting's father passed away. Um, but it just felt real. And just, you know, mm. it just felt like a real moment that allowed Sting to take like a deep breath and focus on the man, you know, behind the makeup. Uh, which I think, you know, knowing that this is, you know, his last program just really added a layer of importance to everything that we were seeing. Now, unfortunately, because Sting wasn't able to be there um, live, they had to pivot and scramble to shoot a different angle, which involves, I guess, Ric Flair possibly turning on Sting. Now, I don't know if this was part of the original plans. Um, I'm guessing this is just a red herring, but we see Flair, you know, walk into the building. He does an interview with Renee. And he talks about how he's been disappointed and that he thought he'd be a bigger part of, you know, what's going on with Sting's last match. And then I'm paraphrasing, but he he basically says he's going to do something about it. And then we see him walking into the Young Bucks dressing room. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> could we be possibly getting another flare turn? Maybe. Yes. Um, <laughs> I doubt it, though, because it just feels like too obvious. So, you know, my guess is most likely he's trying to swerve the Bucks and, you know, trick them. But then I don't know. I could see either that playing out. Like maybe we get a moment in the match where it looks like Flair is going to turn on Sting and then he turns on the Bucks. Or maybe the Young Bucks kind of like sniff out what Flair's trying to do. And, like, preemptively attack Flair and, like, leave him in a bloody mess or something like that. Just adding more heat to the program. We'll have to wait and see. But I could see it going either way. I just feel like at this point it's, like, almost too predictable to have Flair turn on Sting. Not that that's mm. ever stopped Flair from turning on Sting in the past. <laughs> All, like, a hundred times. Mm. It's just I could imagine, like, a really big show of it with them all coming down for the entrance uh for the bucks uh with flair in their corner and everything like that i don't, i don't imagine that it's going to be like a last minute turn like it would be like something just like in his face the entire time yeah but i still feel like it's going to be a swerve and then flair will end up turning yeah. on the bucks you know um just like an, another like feel good moment for that match because 
you know, if I was booking it, like if I was going to have Flair turn on Sting, I would keep it as a surprise. And, you know, even though everyone sees it coming, I still feel like it's weird to have him preemptively do it <laughs> with mm. Sting not even there. It just feels almost like anticlimactic. But like I said, all in all, not the best AEW Dynamite this week, Um, but it is what it is. I mean, they've been hitting out of the park the last couple mm. of months, so. It's not the worst you're, either, you're, though. I would. Yeah, you're allowed to have a clunker once in a while. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you said, it, it wasn't the worst by any means, but they were just on such a hot streak. You know, I just don't want to see them lose momentum at all. Um, but the pay-per-view is right around the corner. I think it's what it's next. Not this weekend, next weekend. It's, it's so seven days. Right, yeah. Crazy. Um, so it's, so next week we'll give our, you know, prediction. exactly. And we also found out next week is going to be uh, Will Ospreay's debut on Dynamite as a full time member of the roster. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. off the chart. Over 20,000. Even Master Yoda doesn't have a midichlorian count that high. No Jedi has. What does that mean? I'm not sure.